Hey, entrepreneurs, it's Steph here. Do you want to experience what it's like to be part of our Entrepreneurial League community of founders? Now is your chance. New member open enrollment begins on June 10th, and so does our Experience Week. I really want you to have the opportunity to experience what it's like to be part of the most supportive community that will be here to support you at all stages of your business journey during our Experience Week. This will be a five-day virtual event series, and it starts on Monday, June 10th through Friday, June 14th. You're going to get access to live networking and learning events, business growth strategies, as well as office hours with Kim Perel, who is a CEO and serial entrepreneurista, as well as a prominent angel investor. You will also get access to a session on how to win grants with Kat Weaver and Katie Dunn, founders of Power to Pitch. Plus, our mentor, Carrie Kirpin, will be teaching a session all about how to build a profitable business that can sell for more money. And of course, I'll be hosting two info and networking sessions where you can really get an inside look at all of the exclusive benefits and resources that are offered only inside of our Entrepreneurs League community. Plus, you'll have the chance to meet and build relationships with current members. You can register today for Experience Week over at entrepreneurs.com forward slash experience week. That's entrepreneurs.com forward slash experience week to join us for a week of free virtual events. I cannot wait to meet you and be part of your business journey. People are really afraid to like start things because they feel like once they're on the track, they can't get off or they're like afraid they're going to make the wrong step. And when I look back at like my career path, it's not like, oh, every path, like step was chosen perfectly. They were messy steps. There were backward steps and there were like dance steps. There were like real steps in there, but all of them were kind of moving me towards where I am now. All of them carried like great lessons. As a founding partner at ATVC and co-founder and executive chairman of Fig One, Kimmy Scotty is a seasoned entrepreneurista. Prior to ATVC, Kimmy served as the executive director of business development and operations at a New York family office where she incubated and invested in many businesses. When Kimmy was still in high school, she founded Mims, a fashion jewelry line that was sold at Bloomingdale's and featured on the hit television show Project Runway. Kimmy's experience has made her a wealth of knowledge around investing, marketing, and leaning into what your strengths truly are. Coming up, Kimmy shares how she started her first successful business at 15 years old, her deep passion for skincare, and insight on how much funding was really required to launch Fig One. How a try before you buy model can be a business boosting strategy for consumer brands the truth behind being an overnight success, and finally, how Kimmy's value for integrity supports her empathetic leadership style. This is the Entrepreneurista Podcast, presented by Socialfly. It's the best business meeting you'll ever have with must-hear real-life looks at how leading women in business are getting it done. And what it takes to build and grow a successful company. It's beyond the gram. With no filters. No limits. And plenty of surprises. 
Kimmy, we are so excited to finally sit down and have this conversation with you. This recording, I believe, has been about two years in the making because I had connected with someone on your team like right after we had just launched the Entrepreneurista podcast and they were sharing your story with us by email. And I was like, oh, no, we know Kimmy. We met Kimmy like 10 years ago when we started our, our first business, Social Fly. So, so glad two years later after launching Entrepreneurista, we have finally been able to make this recording happen. <laughs> Yes, me too. And it's so nice to have like been along on this journey together, kind of like parallel pathing for a decade of entrepreneurship. Well, you have such an incredible background and so much has happened in your life personally and professionally over the past 10 years since we first met in person in your office. I would love if you could take us back through your career journey and how did you get to where you are today? Absolutely. So... I started my career as an entrepreneur at 15 in high school, and I started a jewelry company, and I really wanted, basically, I wanted to work. I knew that I had to, basically, to make enough money, I had to, like, detach hours Mm -hmm. from dollars. Like I couldn't do just like a babysitting $10 an hour gig. I had to like figure out how do you, how do I maximize my time? And I'm very handy and in general, kind of crafty and creative. And so I started a jewelry line and I would open my lucky magazine and see all the designers that I really liked. And, you know, you know, in magazines, it always says like call for pricing or, or available at XYZ store. And so one of those stores was called Bio in Soho, and they had all the cool up and coming lines. Do you guys remember this store? Oh my God, it had the coolest founders on Spring Street. It had the coolest founder, um, Ann Vu. She's so chic. And it was like that whole area around Elizabeth Street was popping up with like cool new designers and stores. And she was the first like real store that I didn't know someone in, like where it's like, wasn't someone's like mom's store or something like that to sell my line. And it was such a fun experience, like such an interesting experience. But so I called her and I said, it was my mom's line that I was helping her with because a lot of people were not taking me at 15 Mm. seriously, shockingly. And so, you know, I ended up getting into her store. I finally came clean that it was not my mom's line and that it was What was it called? It was called Mims, M-I-M-Z. And Mims is the nickname my like family has for me. It's like my sister calls me when my sister was little and she couldn't say Kimmy, she said Mimi. And so she called me Mims. Yeah. And so it's called Mims. And it was so, it was really such a fun experience, but also it's an easy business for you to understand as a kid because you're like, okay, the materials cost me this much, my time, you know, it takes an hour to make. And so you can kind of put a price on that. And then you, you know, multiply by two for wholesale, multiply by four for retail. And then, you know, and there you are. And so it's easy math, easy business to run even as a teenager. So really cut my teeth, you know, in that space. And then I went to FIT. I ran my business all the way through school and I had such a good experience at fashion school. I studied production and advertising marketing. And when I got out of school, I was in school until like 2007. I was when I graduated. So Facebook was new. 
it had just expanded to like all universities. Like it was before it went to like all people, basically. Do you remember that when it was like, oh, yes, just, just I, I was one of the first users of Facebook because they oh, I went to Cornell and they only yeah. had Ivy League. Yeah. yeah. And then yes, I remember we exactly. got it was called the Facebook.com back Facebook. then. And we thought we were yeah. so cool. We got access to this. And yes. Yes. Oh, yeah. I remember. <laughs> yeah. So at this point, I'm, I was like, you know, I'm going to build technology companies. I was like, this is going to be my, the next thing I do is I'm going to build technology. And it's so interesting. I'm always mad I didn't, I didn't start Etsy because I was like, that was like the most kind of poignant like thing I needed right then. I was like, oh, I need a way to sell products to people that who want this kind of creative product. I mean, so I always wish I thought of it. There's all these things you like wish you, you know, you know, you wish you thought of, but I so loved, you know, this idea of building technology companies. I didn't know anything about building a technology company. The most like technical thing I'd ever use is a Juki sewing machine. And so, and an iPod. So <laughs> I don't know what I was exactly thinking, except for that this was like the next wave. The next wave of consumer was going to be this. And my best friend at the time, and you know, still one of my best friends today, went to Harvard and she knew a lot about things like private equity and venture capital and family offices. And she was a commodity trader at a bank. And she, she snuck into a dinner at this, you know, this guy's house who was an entrepreneur and was standing up a family office to build technology companies. And he needed a young entrepreneur who was just like capable of doing stuff basically, and would stay at the office all hours of the day. And so he hired me. And so I went to work. The first business we worked on was called works by Nicole Williams. And it was like a career as lifestyle media company. And we thought if Martha can make crafts and, you know, tablescapes interesting, we can make the corner office interesting, right? You can make this kind of striving for success interesting. And so I worked on that brand with Nicole for a long time and then kind of graduated into starting a healthcare company. And then that ended up getting sold in, a, in 2015 and then decided to start a venture fund and partnered with my partners um, that I have today at 8BC. And we launched 8BC in 2015. And now seven years later, I've basically been both investing and building companies. So since then, I co-founded with my sister a company called Monthly Gift, which turned into Dear Kate, the period-proof underwear business, and then also co-founded and am currently chairman and running a brand called Fig One in the skincare space, very technical skincare. And so I spend about today half my time building and half my time investing. Your story is so inspiring. How do you juggle all of these different initiatives? How do you spend your time? Such a good question because, and I love the way you asked the question, Courtney, because a lot of people ask, how do you balance your time? And we all know that balance is not real. And so I like to say, I try to focus versus find balance. And so when I am sitting in a meeting around fig one, then I'm a hundred percent tunnel vision for that business. When I'm with my kids, I have, you know, I have twin boys, they're 18 months old, Julian and Wolfie. And when I'm with them, I really put my phone down and I try to focus on being with them. When I'm in my partner meetings on, on Monday, or when I'm in a pitch, then I'm, I've got my ABC hat on and I'm really focused. It ends up working out to about half and half my time right now on fig one and on ABC and investing like 
current investments and new investments. So I spend about half my time split between focusing on Fig One and focusing on current and new investments for ABC. And then half and half my work hours, we'll call it. And then the balance of my time, I, you know, either I'm thinking and dreaming up new things. I spend time with my sister on Dear Kate and I spend time with my, with my family, with my babies. I feel like so many opportunities must come your way that you probably get really excited about and want to be involved in. How do you decide what new initiatives or businesses you want to be a part of? And when you need to say no and just focus on the few things or the many things you're already focused on? So I really try to limit the amount of new stuff I'm adding to my plate right now from a time perspective. Like there's things that you can invest in and like aren't absorbing a lot of your time where I'm not taking a board seat and I'm not like hands-on, hands-on involved day to day. And it's interesting because sometimes I can see those things immediately. Like after I've agreed to invest in something and spend time on it and it was a mistake, I almost immediately know. I'm like, oh, something that's like when my phone rings and I'm not happy to get the call. You know, that feeling where you're like, oh, I do not want to deal with this right now. Then I'm like, oh, this was a mistake. Because as you guys know, you've been doing this for a long time. And I know business is hard. Building things in general, co-founding things. The the media kind of today, actually, I think is giving it a more realistic viewpoint. But I don't remember now who calls it hustle porn. Who calls it that? Do you guys know? I've actually never heard of hustle porn. Okay. This is uh, or like coach. it's like people posting and promoting like you need to live the hustle life and have to be doing this. Yeah, you know what they call it struggle porn. That's what they call it. And I think it's Gary Vee or somebody like that says it. I forget who. But you guys know what I'm talking about. You see all the time. It's like, oh, like, you know, you have to do the work they won't do to have the life they can't have like that. All, that kind of tone is now I feel like more out there. But a lot of the time, I remember, especially early on in my career, they would talk about overnight success often. You'd, you know, the media was constantly like, she started yesterday and she's a billionaire now and everyone has this thing. And I'm just like, that's not real. I feel like that came from like the Oprah effect. It was like you go on Oprah and then you become this like instant overnight success like Spanx, right? She got on Oprah and then you get all of that PR. And it's not really like that anymore, but that did happen. It did happen. And then I feel like a lot of that started then, but now it's like you have to work really hard for many years. There really Really is not an overnight success. (laughs) It might look like it on social media, but it's not. Yeah. And also Oprah didn't become Oprah. I don't think she did her first talk show until she was like 40. Right. So she had a whole life of other things going on. She was older than we are all now. Right. Before she even touched the thing that made her who she is. And I feel like that there was this overnight success celebration all the time, especially about successful women. It's like, oh, she thought of this idea and then boom, you know, and if you like have seen the movie Joy or like any of these things, you're like, you know, these weren't overnight successes. These were absolute struggles, ups and downs, peaks and valleys all the way through until it finally became a thing. And I feel like the kind of over celebration of that home run overnight win tricked a lot of young people into thinking, oh yeah, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. It's so like cool and interesting. And actually when I go to speak on university campuses, I always like to ask everyone who wants to be an entrepreneur. 
And it, you, when I early on, like the first time I was ever on a university campus, like 10 plus years ago, everyone wanted to be an entrepreneur. And now everyone wants to be a venture capitalist, <laughs> which, so I think it's a really interesting thing. It's like, oh, you also think this is an easy job and all, or that it's like a cool, sexy job. And there's ups and downs of all these things. I'm taking, I take calls from founders in the middle of the night who are having challenges with their business. And that's, I guess what I'm really meaning to say is you have to be careful where you agree to spend your time because if you made a mistake and you weren't happy to do it, now you're basically married and you're in business with this person or this company for many, many years to come. And you're like getting that call at 3 I'm like, oh, shoot me, you know? And so I try to be really careful and ask myself like weird times or when things are really hard, like what if this is the call I was getting now? Would I be happy to answer? Or would I be like having that deep pang of like, I made a mistake right now? Are you able to get out of those commitments or you're just stuck and waiting for that? <laughs> also a great question. So sh- like, sure, like there's, there are ways to do it, but there, you know, I am a person, I believe of high integrity and so I wouldn't, I would not be like leaving someone kind of in a tough position by saying, okay, actually just kidding. I don't want to be involved in this anymore. So I'm like stepping out. And there have been situations where it would have been way easier for me to step out and not like stick with something that was like clearly having a lot of trouble for a long time. But I'm here, you know, in these roles when you're investing, and especially if you're like, a lead investor who's taking a board seat, you actually represent all of the investors, mm-hmm. all of the employees. And so I really think hard about that. Like I'm their representative in the boardroom. You know, I'm here as a fiduciary. So my, res- you know, it's just a, a kind of responsibility to everyone. And so I, even though, yes, sure, I've seen it done. It's not for me. It's not the kind of person I am. You must see a lot of deals. What excites you these days? What do you say yes to and what's automatic pass? So there are sectors that excite me in general. So I love things that are in the overlap between healthcare and consumer. And I just think the same way that the way we consume everything is changing, the way we consume healthcare is changing as well. And so I love new things in that space. And also you could like broaden that to encapsulate wellness overall. And so the things I'm probably like most fired up about are would like sit in that vertical. But in general, across any sector, the things I'm most excited about are really the founders who are like so rabid, passionate about the thing that they're working on. I I used to joke when we started working together as a fund, all my partners, that I was in danger of leaving with whoever was pitching. Like someone comes in and they're like so excited about what they're working on. And I'm like, okay, guys, I'm going to go with him. Like, I'll see you later. He's that was like, going to so be my nice. next question. When you, cause you started at ABC, I partnered at ABC, and then you launched Fig One after you were already part of ABC. Mm-hmm. Was yes. that your company you started, or was a founder came in pitch and now you're involved in that company? So, I'm actually a co-founder and what happened was actually a good story overall. And I think a good overall lesson about like side hustles, maybe even in general or passions and and how you kind of turn those into businesses. So I'm obsessed with skincare. I like to say now that like before I'm anything, before I'm like an entrepreneur, before I am 
a wife, a mother, an investor, before I'm any of those things, I'm 11 years old, stealing my mom's Clinique yellow cream. And I'm a skincare junkie. Like that's first before anything else. Before I see my kids every morning, I'm doing my skincare routine. You know what I mean? Like it's like the base of my food pyramid. <laughs> it's like so what funny. everything else kind of built on. <laughs> and so I love skincare. And I think that there's like something that happens. And um, Mel Diamond, the CEO of Hill House Home, and I talk about this all the time. And actually she just wrote a few words about this when she was announcing the launch of shoes that are worth, you know, worth reading. That a lot of what women are interested in, beauty and fashion, if those are your interests, obviously women can be interested in whatever they want, but we all, we have this commonality amongst a lot of us that we're interested in these things are deemed kind of frivolous things. And they're kind of written off as silly. And actually they are like not silly at all. They're massive businesses and opportunities in these spaces. We know them better than anybody else. And I think there are huge opportunities there. And also who is anyone to tell me, like who is some man that I worked with, you know, 15 years ago to corner me and tell me that my interest in fashion is silly and that I need to be more serious and wear a navy blue suit and all these things. So there, this interest you have in fashion and beauty and these kind of, you know, quote unquote frivolous things as a woman get kind of pounded out of you if you're coming up in business. And I have this really wonderful friend and she's actually sitting in my office who is an interning with me all week. And yesterday she came in with really long blue nails and she said, oh, well, I was told this is like not really corporate and like I shouldn't really, you know, have this kind of crazy nails in the office. And I'm like, no, we are just allowed to do whatever we want. Like, I don't care if you want long blue nails. I care about what's here. Like, I care about what's in your mind and your ideas and all of your potential and all the opportunity ahead of you, not your nails. Like I happen to be a, a no nail polish gal lately, but if I could wear like those long nails with all the sparkles and everything on them, I totally would. And I just don't think, I don't think any of these things are actually frivolous. And so anyway, I got interested in the beauty business about two and a half years ago. I got obsessed with not just putting it on my skin, but like what's in these packages? Like what's actually changing my skin? What are these ingredients? Like what's the science in this area? And went looking for an investment to make in a skincare brand. And I said to friends who also invest in consumer, I just basically put out a, like an alert. I was like, everybody, I'm going to make an investment in skincare because I'm obsessed with this. Send me anything that comes across your desk. We'll write a check $50,000 to $50 million, anything in between. And I saw 104 companies wow. and could not get behind the science of anything, which was really disappointing. And I saw small new brands, I you know new molecules and labs, ideas in the back of a napkin, all the way through brands that do over 100 million in sales a year, both. And equally could not get behind any of these ideas. And so- I decided, okay, we can't find it, so we've got to build it. And so along the way, I had met like the head of Harvard Dermatology and Stanford Dermatology and Penn Dermatology, all these amazing derms. And also I met Dr. Courtney Rubin, who was then finishing her residency at Penn, which is the number one derm school in the country. She was pre going to practice at Harvard. And we decided in partnership with Lizzie Trellstad, our head of chemistry, who I'm obsessed with, let's just build something. And so 8BC co-founded and funded the brand, or I did out of ABC, 
and I'm technically chairman, but I very much am in the business day to day. And, you know, we launched about a year ago. For Congratulations. That's so exciting. For those who are thinking about starting a skincare business, how much money did you need to, to launch okay. it? This is a great question and also a really important one. And I think what I decided to do and what you might decide to do differently, I'll give you sort of both frameworks. I wanted to create and own our own formulas rethink packaging. So we, when we think about our formulations, we think about packaging as part of the ingredient list, we like to say, because a lot of the products that you're using don't aren't protected by the packaging that they're in. So if you're using a serum with vitamin C and it's in a dropper bottle, it's probably doesn't have vitamin C after very long. So like 14 days later, I, I'm sorry to say, it's probably, you know, a lot less vitamin C than you started with. So we really wanted to rethink these things. So we spent a lot of money on creating new formulations and owning them on, so chemistry overall, on clinical testing, which you don't have to do. You can just do regular consumer testing and basically testing to decide if it's like irritating your eye or would would irritate your eyes, HRIPT testing. You can do baseline testing and that's not very expensive, but if you want to do full-blown clinical tests, those are very expensive. So we started with almost $10 million, which is a lot. And also I have 44 products in development today and 10 launched all on that capital. So that's a very robust line. If you want to launch one skincare product, you don't need any, you know, or or a few, and you don't mind that the manufacturer that you're working with also has ownership in your ingredient list and, and your formulation then you need a lot less capital. You could probably get started with a couple hundred thousand dollars. Hi, Entrepreneistas. You know I am always here to provide you with as much value as possible. So I wanted to be sure that you have access to the Entrepreneista Agenda, our weekly newsletter where we share the latest business news, success stories, grant opportunities, as well as all of our favorite resources and special offers for founders just like you. You can sign up to join our weekly newsletter and join over 50,000 other entrepreneurs over at entrepreneurs.com forward slash newsletter. That's entrepreneurs.com slash newsletter to subscribe to the Entrepreneurs Agenda. Share more with us about Fig One. What differentiates the company from all the other skincare brands that are out there? Such a good question because I love other skincare brands. One of the things that I like to say about Fig One, and we like to, you guys think about these things too because of your social fly life, but like if Fig One was a girl, she's the girl who's nice to you when you're all drunk in the bathroom. Like Fig One as a, as a person is a collaborative player. It's a nice girl brand. And I say that because as a skincare user and someone who loves product, I like to mix and match the products I use myself. And I don't think the same way that I don't dress head to toe in one brand, even though I do dress a lot head to toe in Hill House Home. And especially since shoes launches this week, I'll be able to put it on my toes. You know, I often say you don't dress head to toe in one brand. You're not going to do your entire skincare routine from one brand either. And so the nice thing about Fig One is that it's basically created to fit into your routine. It doesn't necessarily have to be the whole routine. And you will rarely see 
my skincare shelf and nothing else be on it. Every now and then I'm testing a lot of things. And so it'll be more fig, you know, more fig one, but in general, I use other, some professional only brands. Like I love Environ and I talk about them all the time as being a brand I really look up to. I use some osmosis and I really love that. I'm always toying around with like new treatments and SPFs from other brands. Like I love the SK2 sheet masks when I'm a sheet mask girly, you know, there's lots of things, lots of other brands I love and respect in the medicine cabinet. But what separates Fig One from everything else is a few things. One, we reimagined the chemistry in all of our products from the ground up. So we didn't start with like, oh, we really like, a lot of lines start with like, oh, we really like this other product, but we want to make these tweaks. We're like, okay, we think we started with an ingredient list that we think these ingredients, these particular antioxidants and vitamins are very important to a routine that's anti-aging focused, that's acne focused, that's soon you'll see SPF and and sun products and then you'll see body care from us as well coming in the next year. So we started with a baseline, which ingredients are important to include. Then we decided what ingredients support each of those in a meaningful way to create a cosmetically elegant formulation. So it's not just that you're delivering the ingredients to the skin. And we've all had this experience, like, oh, you use a vitamin C product, but it's like grainy and kind of itchy on your skin or a retinol product that has that kind of sandy texture to it. We're like, I want my skincare experience to be like a beautiful, elegant experience every day. Not like, oh, I'm just delivering the products. You know, I want it to be a nice experience. This is my moments of self-care that I'm getting. And then we said, how do you protect those ingredients from like, light oxygen, dirty fingers. So we created our airless pump system. I was fed up with throwing out tons of little bottles all the time. I'm constantly throwing out these, these bottles from other brands. And some of the brands I already talked about loving that are not recyclable because they're basically glued together. They contain multiple types of plastics. They contain a spring. They might have also additional metal in the packaging. And so they're not recyclable because it's multiple materials in one. So I'm like, how do we create a more sustainable? Obviously the most sustainable would be, we don't create anything, but if we were going to create something, how do you make it more sustainable? And so we created our airless refillable pump system. And then we said, I need to save time. I was like doing 10, 12 steps in a routine and I like to cocktail things together in my hands. But lots of times when you like put products into your hand all together and you try to blend it, they ball up because Mm -hmm. some of the ingredients repel each other. So our line was basically created so that you can cocktail everything together and put it on your skin all at once. And so it's really a very scientific brand made for beauty lovers who also, you know, care about the planet. (laughs) Well, I have to say, I just pulled up your website here and the packaging, the bottles, everything is beautiful. The branding is beautiful. And I even see that you have a pregnant or nursing line. So I assume that all of those products are like free from chemicals and anything. Yes. Which, which I absolutely love. So yeah, retinol. And the other thing about the line is there's nothing in there that doesn't need to be in there. Like Mm -hmm. the preservative system is in there that's required for the products, you know, that we're creating. There's no dusting of any ingredients so that we could just say it's in there or not like, oh yeah, it's, there's like ceramides in this, but it's like one serum. It's like ceramide is in this. It's like, no, this is like a meaningful percentage of each active so that you actually see a change in your skin. And the goal was that you see a change in your skin with the first bottle, not like, 
oh, you have to use this for a year and then you're going to, mm-hmm. you know, then you're going to see this change. You'll see it, you'll feel difference in your skin immediately because we're using this meaningful percentage of all of the active ingredients. And also we have a free consultation. So if you have a skincare routine, and you want to know how to fit fig one in, or you have skin needs and you're not, you're not necessarily addressing them right now, or you just want to talk to an esthetician and, and get feedback on a routine, you actually can go to our website, fig-one.co, click on the free consultation and get a personalized routine. And our professional estheticians are all there waiting to hear from you. And my favorite, favorite thing about this, and it sort of puts a punctuation, you know, on the on the point about being the nice girl brand that plays nice in the medicine cabinet is that you will never see them tell you things like, Oh, toss that. We don't love that product. It's not great. I feel like one of the big problems in this space is that whenever you go to a new spa or you go to a new dermatologist, or you would just walk into a Sephora, you walk in, you know, you walk into a new beauty experience, a retailer, they always try to replace everything you have. They're like, mm-hmm. Oh, that's what you're using. You know, and there's this kind of tone that talks down to the consumer who who are mainly women. Right. And I, I don't believe in that, that kind of, you know, tone for, for women in general, like, Oh, you made this mistake the last time you bought it. Like, actually this is a great product and we sit beautifully alongside it. And so unless you're like really damaging your skin by like overdoing it with the benzoyl peroxide and salicylic acid every single day or something like that, and you're like stripping it, you will not hear from us. Oh yeah. Pause using that. Let's try something new. It's like, we love these things in your routine. Try the fig one vitamin C when you run out of this, try our niacinamide every other day. You're, you know, that will, it'll help calm your skin, whatever the advice is. It's always fitting in with the existing products. You're already telling us you love. And because that's how we are as consumers. And so we want that experience for our customer. And then I feel like I buried the lead on this, which is the price point. Everything is basically fourteen to forty dollars in the line right now, so, and everything does seem seem relatively affordable. So love that because I know a lot of a lot of the other skincare companies, I'm like La Mer, other companies are so expensive and and just un, unattainable. dollars a bottle. Yeah, there's nothing. I'll just make the one point if you'll let me that no ingredient is sacrificed. No quality is sacrificed. I'm using all of our products and I was spending a fortune on my skincare before. And I don't feel like I'm missing something. I'm like really proud of the product that we create at the price point that we created. But if you were holding it, you know, next to a luxury skincare product that, you know, I won't name names, you will find that the quality is very much there. Kimmy, can you talk to us about your marketing strategy for when you launched the business and what worked really well, maybe what didn't work as well, and and what are you testing now? Such a good question, and this is forever changing. So you know what's so funny? You always want the marketing, like, oh, there's like some smart thing that we have to do that's going to get consumers to use this product. And then it turns out that it's like, actually, if, if you're like very honest and you are authentic about your product. That's what makes people want it. And so we ended up recently getting a call from our marketing partners, our marketing agency partners. And they're like, there's this girl in one of your videos and she's talking about international shipping. We pulled it down from Instagram. We've been using it as ads. It's performing 10 X better than all the other ads. And the girl is me talking (laughs) about international shipping. And I'm never been in our marketing before because I'm not, I'm not, like an influencer, like I'm like, oh yeah, no, we'll just like get this other influencers to talk about these things and whatever. 
Well, it turns out that if you're just really authentically love your own business and you're talking about it, sometimes that's what's working best. And so that was like a real surprise, I think, to hear. They're like, would you make some more videos like that? And I'm like, yeah, sure. I'll sit here all day <laughs> making videos for you. No problem. <laughs> but it's, you know, it's such a funny, such a, like a funny thing to learn. You're like this girl in your marketing. I'm like, that's oh, me. <laughs> this, that girl, me. <laughs> yeah, so bizarre. And so then, I, and I'm just like, and also I was like sitting twirling in my desk chair. Like, I'm like, yeah, international sh- shipping is coming early and da, 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 da. And I'm just like such a, it's like on my own Instagram, they pulled it from. So it's so funny. So you have to like, really think, I think about what's authentic to your brand and lean into that. And that is the most effective marketing. But the thing that we're, you know, we're always trying to figure out and we're testing through it constantly. And especially right now is when your brand has a lot of attributes, like it just took me 10 minutes to tell you why we're different, right? We're different because of being of the potent ingredients. We're different because of science. We're different because of packaging. We're different because of price, et cetera, et cetera. That's a lot of exciting things. And it's a lot of reasons someone might use the product, but hearing them all is like overwhelming. So it's like, what is the user, the ideal user, you know, who wants to use our, who's going to want to find our product? How do we find them? What is it that we have to tell them about our product that's going to make them try? And so we did make trying really easy by creating our $5 starter kit. So we created this $5 starter kit that is like, a day routine on the front and a night routine on the back. And it has a sample for each step for your routine, a cleat, a cleanser, a treatment, a moisturizer, an eye, you know, an eye product. And so it has both on the front and back. And you also get a discount if you spend the $5 just shipping basically. And so then you get a discount when you order your full size product. And that's been an amazing marketing tool for us. And I, so I would say to other, you know, entrepreneurs, if there's a way to try before you buy or to have like a limited expense interaction with your brand that allows people to engage and touch it. Who believes in your brand more than you? No one. Right. So like, I'm like, Oh, you want to try this before you like commit? Absolutely. Let me give it to you to try. And that way, if it irritates your skin, you know, it's not for you or it's not what you wanted. Fine. It was like low risk for everybody. And if you find it and you love it and we have like really exciting purchase rates of our sample kit, which I'm so proud of because it really means the product works. People love it when they touch it. And I would, I wanted there to be a way for that to happen. Are you only selling on your website right now? A few places. So our website, fig-one.co, you can get everything. Walmart.com sells our product. We were just testing also in 220 of their stores. So we're so excited about that as well. And then you can get it select dermatologists and spas and some med spas have us. And we're so excited about that. And then we launched like a week ago on heyday.com. So we're so Yeah. And they're selling our treatment range. So all the serums. Kimmy, can you share any tips on best practices to get into retailers? So many of our entrepreneurs have different lines that they've started, whether it's skincare, we have some entrepreneurs that have candle businesses and they're looking to get into retailers. What are the best tips you can share to get in front of the right people? I am myself navigating the retail landscape, but what I've learned so far is this, have an idea in mind about who the right retailer is for you and reasoning, like know where they're going, not where they've been. So when we hear from the retailers, you know, they're skincare buyers. And we're like, what's important to you? I know the answer before they're telling it to me because I can see 
what they've been changing in their range and it's aligned to where I am now. So they want clinically backed product. Sustainability is important to them. So you start understanding what's important to this particular retailer and also make sure things like your price point line up, that they have the right customer, you know, for your line. You're not trying to like force a new type of customer into, you know, into their store. You want alignment to that retailer. And so it's like, great. Yeah, sure. Target's a great retailer. Unless you're a luxury product or unless you're not aligned to their goals and they're not going to support your brand. So you don't just need a retailer who has volume. You need a retailer who has volume with a customer that also is your customer who has a vision aligned to where your brand is. Cause you're probably changing something, right? It's not just a skincare brand. It's like, has all these attributes. It's clean. It's this, it's that. And so if you do all of that sort of pre-work, then when you're in the conversation, you can explain why they're the retailer for you and, you know, get into their line review process and, and all of that. And you'll, and you'll have a lot more success than if you're trying to fit a square peg in a round hole, just make sure you have your square peg, you're finding the square. And I think that that's probably the most important. When you first launched the line, did you just launch uh, on your website or did you launch in retail too? So on launch day, June last year, June, 2021, we get a message into our LinkedIn that is from Walmart. And they're like, we love what you're doing. We just, we saw it. We think it's really cool. Can we have a conversation? So they didn't know it was launch day. They just saw it for some reason. Like it was like in someone's feed. (laughs) And so it was, it was really serendipitous because they were on my vision board basically for some time. Because when we talk about the mission of Fig One, it's to democratize access to healthy skin. And if you're going to democratize something, you better believe that Walmart is where it's got to be. So it's like, where is this customer? And she's there. She's shopping for her family on a Walmart aisle. And that's where I wanted to, that's where I want to find her. So it was really fortuitous that they reached out and were able to see us. And that's what started that relationship. But we did launch when we launched day, we launched just on the dot co. That's so exciting. When you launched, how did you know how much to buy? Because when you're launching something new, a new brand, you have no idea what the demand is going to be. And I also launched my own brand last year, and that was a big question mark for me. So how did you decide how much to order? Okay. The secret weapon of our entire business is Denise. Denise is our supply chain manager. And she is an amazing long career in supply chain. And she did all of the work on sort of projections and supply and when we need to do reorders and things like that. And I will say this, I don't think that there was like a magic, this is how much we need at launch number, but she has the best understanding of like, if I need something ASAP, how fast is ASAP possible? Like how, what's the quickest I can get something done? And so I think we basically started with MOQs, you know, the minimum order quantities is what MOQs means in most of our products. I think we got, went, we basically went deeper where we were really bullish. I'm like, this is like, we think this is like the best and where the media is going to pick up and going to be interested in a product based on trends in skincare. Like we've all seen so much micellar water. Well, our product is the first time our, our micellar oil cleanser is the first time micelles have been in oil. That is a product everyone wants to talk about. It's also $19 and it's $14 on refill. So it's like, 
amazing price point, amazing product, really cool science. And so I think we took some big swings where we thought there was going to be, you know, a big media opportunity. And so she masterminded all of that. Obviously not every startup can have a Denise and we're very, very lucky, but I would say think hard about how quickly you can replenish something when you're making it and have a really good understanding of that. So that when you do get a call from like your dream retailer, you're not like, yeah, we can get it to you tomorrow when you really know it takes you nine months to get it, or really takes you six months to get it or whatever. And so that's the kind of thinking I would do ahead of launch is figuring out that pipeline in a really tight way. Hey, entrepreneurs, Stephanie here. Dressing up while working from home has truly been a challenge, but guess what? I found a solution founded by a fellow entrepreneurista. It's Armoire. You can rent stylish clothes weekly or monthly right from the app. You'll spend less time shopping and you can get up to 50% off of your first month plus two bonus items. Just use the code entrepreneurista at checkout or visit armoire.style forward slash entrepreneurista to claim your offer. Look and feel your best with Armoire. I know I do. That's armoire.style forward slash entrepreneurista. Kimmy, this is a fun segment we like to do. We're going to ask you a few rapid fire questions. So the first word or words that come to your mind, are you ready? Yes. All right. How would your friends describe you in three words? The first thing that comes to mind is crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Loving, I hope, would come up. Generous. Is there a business tool or solution that you love and recommend? Honestly, Google Docs is my favorite thing. And we use it so much just like between us, especially me and Bella, who's on my ABC team, but also like founding Fig One team is amazing. And we, but I will say this just to make it a little bit more interesting. We create a goal spreadsheet at the beginning, at the end of last year, basically for the whole year. And we break out goals like this is an annual goal. We break it into a quarterly and sometimes a monthly, and in some cases, rare, a daily goal. So you might have like the whole year in days in one tab. And I reserve that for fitness goals. And we put both our business goals and our personal goals in the same spreadsheet. Mine are on a layer and hers are on a layer. They're on the same sheet. Every tab is like a different vertical of your life. It's like, oh, you're like, family vertical and your work vertical. And for us, it's like broken into fig one portfolio companies and eight BC, the platform. Um, and then it's like, Oh, your friend, you know, vertical and, you know, a learning vertical, like all the like betterment basically as a, as a vertical. And then we put all of our goals in there. We kind of co-sign on each other's goals. So like, then when she goes for a run and I'm like, okay, that's like aligned to her goal. She got to go for a run you know, it's not like, Oh, why are you going for a run right now? You know? And so if you kind of enroll everybody in your goal, then it's, they're kind of part of it and they're mm. accountable to you also. I love that. And all in Google docs, all in your all Google, Google sheets. Docs. Yes. And I they're love it. We are... coordinated and crazy, but the, um, do you have, do you have a template? Can you um take out your actual goals and send us your template? I want to set this up for a court. Do you want to do this exercise? Sure. You should definitely do this exercise. It's so great, but I will tell you fun fact start a family 2020 was a spreadsheet was on a spreadsheet and it was start a family Q1 
And then by the end of Q4 was like, have kids. And you know, I delivered the babies on 12, 31, 2020. Wow. So you got to hit your goals. (laughs) Just in under the deadline. (laughs) Wow. That is pretty impressive. That's amazing. (laughs) Insane. All right. Next question. What is an app on your phone that you cannot live without? Honestly, it's probably Pinterest. I love Pinterest. It's the first app on my phone, which is crazy. I can't believe I'm not like some kind of super user, but I'm obsessed with it. What's yours? Instagram. Yeah, mine's Instagram, Shopify. Shopify. I have so many. Yeah. Yeah, so many, but yeah, for sure. Of the non, like non-core bottom four, Pinterest, I feel like for me, I love Pinterest. Yeah. I don't think anyone has ever said Pinterest on the show as their number one app. So I love it. It is a great platform. Played my whole wedding on there. So uh. also the United (laughs) app. I'm such a United girl. I'm like global services girly. (laughs) I love JetBlue. That one's my, my favorite. What is success to you? Joy. Yeah, it's really, it was a different thing. Like if you asked me 10 years ago, I would have been like, it's like a plane. It's like all these things. And I'm just like, now I think post having kids and I'm like, look at them. It's an entirely different thing. Mm -hmm. And it's just about being happy every day. And do you have a hidden talent? Oh, I'm very crafty. Mm -hmm. My hidden talent is probably that I can make anything. I'm like, like skilled in the kitchen. I can sew you something. I can bead something. I pick up like a craft, like real easy. So like all, if you look around my house, it's kind of like a Pinterest threw up. Like I, (laughs) (laughs) well, it makes sense now. It makes sense why Pinterest was your, uh, your favorite platform there. I do. I love love co-creating stuff also. It's like, I don't have time to like, sew now, but like I, I have like friends, like Amber Doyle is like my tailor, like bestie. And I like co-create clothing with her all the time. Like we'll like work on projects together. It's really fun. All right. Back to our regular questions now. So just a few more questions for you, Kimmy. And I know we could talk to you for hours and I will let our listeners know we are going to have a bonus episode talking all about fundraising and tips. So final few questions for you, Kimmy. What are you most grateful for every day? Mm. I say it every morning. I'm grateful for my able mind and able body. That's it. Those are like number one and two yeah. every single day. I I start my morning thinking that, thank God for my able mind and my able body. And that's it. Cause we're only, I always say, and my sister always says it also, you're, we're temporarily healthy and able, mm-hmm. right? Any, a quick second and that's taken from you. So you have to be grateful for it every single day. What is something, totally agree. What is something our audience would be surprised to learn about you? Mm. Would it surprise you that I'm very OCD, like extremely regimented, like need everything kind of like if you could see around me right now, it's like everything kind of at a right angle weird, but the, like, I need my bed made every morning. I need everything kind of to be just so like my fridge is like organized, organized. I don't know if that's surprising enough. You know, what is interesting about that because you're an entrepreneur and things are, can be so chaotic and not organized and planned. 
Yes, totally. So maybe um, it's controlling the things that you know you can control and then being part of the things that you can't control. Oh, did you know this was a like psychoanalyst therapy session too? Here? <laughs> yes. Thank you. I'll cancel therapy for tomorrow. Um, I'll tell you two more and then you guys can decide which ones you pick because maybe that's not like fun enough. Like one is that I um, am an overpacker, like in a sick kind of overpacking way. Like, okay, I just packed my whole closet. No problem. Brought a ball gown on my vacation. <laughs> like four days last week in Israel, four, one, like one whole checked bag and then one whole accessories bag. Overpacker. I feel like if you're a person who's like OCD and streamlined and like you're, I used to travel to San Francisco 49 times a year, like literally every Monday, Tuesday until the start of the pandemic, which is why I'm a United, you know, person. I feel like people think then you're like, oh yeah, you're really fast with the, you know, packing and like, oh, you, you're really a carry on girl. I am not. I am like nine shoes for four days, you know, hats and jackets and handbags for every outfit. And I used to be the person that was like, oh, I'll pack four black dresses and like make it work. And now I'm just like, you know what? I bought all this stuff and I'm bringing it with me. So I'm like, just forget it. So I'm a supreme it's fine. You, professional you overpacker. You own it. You own it. That's uh, great. <laughs> the lesson is that I can't drive. I just literally can't. I'm a terrible driver. You and I feel like or you're you like, <laughs> can you have your license? <laughs> oh, yes. I have my license. Um, I haven't used it since my road test, which was a promise I made to the proctor doing my road test. I was like, I promise I'll never do this again. If you just give me the license and he gave it to me, he was like, I believe you. You're never going to do that again. That's terrible. And so he gave me a license and I kept this promise to Mordecai. If you're listening to Entrepreneurs Podcast, I have not driven since. Did you grow up in New York City? I grew up in Queens. Okay. Yeah. So everyone, I, I grew up in the city too and everyone from the city doesn't drive. <laughs> yeah, I'm, a ter- I'm just really bad. Like, I'm like white knuckling. I don't think the rules are for me. I'm nervous and bad. So I, but well, I at least, like, you know, you know, the things that you're great at and you should mm-hmm. focus on and you yeah. outsource the things that you're not great at and own it. And I think that's great. And that's what makes you an incredible entrepreneur, right? Yes. This episode is sponsored by Uber. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Every taxi, Lyft, yeah. all of them. Yes, exactly. Well, Kimmy, final question for you. What does being an entrepreneur mean to you? it means doing whatever I, that feels good, that I really want to spend my time doing. And I feel like it doesn't mean that every single task along the way, but that the overall path is in the direction that I want to go in. And I think people are really afraid to like start things because they feel like once they're on the track, they can't get off and, or they're like afraid they're going to make the wrong step. And when I look back at like my career path, it's not like, oh, every path, like step was chosen perfectly. They were messy steps. There were backward steps and there were like dance steps. There were like real steps in there, but there, all of them were kind of moving me towards where I am now. All of them carried like great lessons where they weren't good. And I feel like it's really important to remember that you're human and you're allowed to change your mind whenever you want. And how lucky are we for that to be the case? 
Absolutely. I love that. You know, nothing is permanent. Everything is figure outable and you just kept going and figured it out as you went along and it led you to, to where you are today. Well, Kimmy, thank you so, so much for sharing your incredible journey and story and all of these incredible learning lessons and tips. I know our entrepreneurs listening are, have already learned so much just from, from listening to you. Where can everyone find you and follow you? And for those that are interested in learning more about eight VC, where should they go? And for those that are interested in trying your products, uh, big one, where should they find you? Yeah. Okay. So um, if you want to learn more about 8VC and our portfolio, go to 8VC.com. If you want to learn more about Fig One and our amazing skincare line, go to fig-one.co and use code, we'll make you guys your own code, entrepreneurista10, so that you can amazing and no one let me forget to do that. And if you want to find me, you can just email me at Kimmy at 8BC.com. I'm always happy to like hear a pitch, hear an idea, like chat with someone hundred percent, just email me or um, hit me on Instagram, Kimmy Scotty, Kimmy with Y, Scotty with I on Instagram. Kimmy, thank you so much for being here. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Courtney. And this is the best business meeting we've ever had. Hey, thanks for listening and leaving us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate it. And we'd love to stay in touch with each of you. You can listen to all of our latest episodes at entreprenista.com and connect with us on Instagram at entreprenistas. We'd also love to invite you to join the Entreprenista League, our private membership community for trailblazing women. You can head over to entreprenista.com forward slash the league. We'll see you there. Wishing you a productive week ahead. Hey, entrepreneurs, it's Steph here. Do you want to experience what it's like to be part of our Entrepreneurs League community of founders? Now is your chance. New member open enrollment begins on June 10th, and so does our Experience Week. I really want you to have the opportunity to experience what it's like to be part of the most supportive community that will be here to support you at all stages of your business journey during our Experience Week. This will be a five-day virtual event series, and it starts on Monday, June 10th through Friday, June 14th. You're going to get access to live networking and learning events, business growth strategies, as well as office hours with Kim Perel, who is a CEO and serial entrepreneurista, as well as a prominent angel investor. You will also get access to a session on how to win grants with Kat Weaver and Katie Dunn, founders of Power to Pitch. Plus, our mentor, Carrie Kirpin, will be teaching a session all about how to build a profitable business that can sell for more money. And of course, I'll be hosting two info and networking sessions where you can really get an inside look at all of the exclusive benefits and resources that are offered only inside of our Entrepreneurs League community. Plus, you'll have the chance to meet and build relationships with current members. You can register today for Experience Week over at entrepreneurs.com forward slash experience week. That's entrepreneurs.com forward slash experience week to join us for a week of free virtual events. I cannot wait to meet you and be part of your business journey.